0: Everybody to episode one fourteen of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. My name is Patrick Rayhall. I am Patsy, the angry nerd, and I like sharks. I don't mean to uh, get a little short with you, but uh, sometimes I can be sarcastic. Joining me, as always, my partner in crime, my swimming buddy, my lady who lives at my house. He buys me stuffed sharks, and I put them on the couch. She is the real housewife of Atlantis and the mistress of Merlot. She is the Michael Phelps of wine. She is ashes of a nightmare.
1: Let's talk about sharks, baby. Let's talk about fins and teeth. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things under the sea. Let's talk about sharks. Let's Aww, talk about sharks. Yeah. I just came up with that. Like no lie. Like that's, how good was that's that? Really good. That deserves a high five. Like a yeah, high yeah. five. Yeah, go team.
0: And uh we are of course always joined by the man who is our chum is <laughs> Johnny Wolfenstein. So I went from having a handsome voice to being fish guts. <laughs> hey, it's a little wow, uh, that was a big downgrade in one episode? Well. What if uh, I'm really fond of fish guts? I don't, know. Uh, I don't think everyone is, though.
1: But like, eventually, over time, the word "chum" like switched meaning and like became to mean "pal." This is yeah. my good chum, old chum, yeah. right? Like that's thing. I don't a think thing? anyone uses that that's though. A, that's <laughs> Adam West it is, says it is, <laughs> all the
0: time. It is a thing, old chum. That was in 1966. Yeah, well, none old. of us were alive. <laughs> Not with that attitude. <laughs> so I mean, you know, who's to say when life begins? <laughs> oh yeah, so we're off the rails just a smidge, but we are gonna be today talking about one of my favorite subjects and uh it's sharks.
1: It's been a crazy summer for shark movies.
0: It's been so awesome. We have seen a bunch of shark movies in the last couple of weeks.
1: So many shark movies. Um, all of the yeah. shark movies.
0: So we're going to be discussing the different ways sharks are portrayed. We're going to talk about the impact that shark movies have had in real life. Yes. And we're going to talk about uh you know some maybe some of the misconceptions of the more recent shark films that have come out that maybe uh you might not be aware of. You might not uh you know have had insight into But that's what we're going to talk about today.
1: And we also have some super special stuff for later on. We do.
0: We do. Uh, I'm very excited for this. This was uh, some stuff that we got that I was just uh, overwhelmed by. But I think uh, how we should should start, we should maybe talk about what are the films that we're going to talk about today. So ashes, what are some of the films we're going to talk about today?
1: Well, we just watched Jaws the other night.
0: Last night, yeah. That's and like, as of this recording, last night
1: we went to the theater last week to see The Meg. That's right. And we watched the premiere of Megalodon, which was on the sci-fi. number
0: one uh, program on cable on Monday night.
1: The, which is impressive. Number one. And we also recently watched the premiere of Sharknado Six.
0: The day before we watched Jaws. Yes. Yeah. So we which watched... is
1: the, the the final installment. Like this it is, is the end and of a, the Sharknado series.
0: A couple of folks have asked me, like, do you really think that they're going to stop doing? No, that? I
1: think this is it.
0: Yeah, and I said the way that they ended the film, and uh, there
1: really is.
0: There's nowhere to go with this. Yeah. So yeah, I think. Um, I think that it's going to be. This is it. This is six, and uh, but we'll we'll get into it a little bit. But um, so we're going to talk today. We're going to talk jaws. We're going to talk megalodon. We're going to talk the meg. We're going to talk sharknado. But you know, one of the things that I wanted to bring up is why shark movies are so popular. I think. Because uh, you and I were talking about this off air mm-hmm. earlier today, and I think shark movies started became, and not just shark movie, but animal attack movies, in in particular. Because after a while, uh, and this is a problem that you know some movies have, especially horror movies. Like, you know, you go through the Universal monsters, and it's like, okay, we've seen this. It's oh, you know, it's been done. You know. uh, I know that there's not really a mummy hiding in my closet and I know the wolf man is not, you know, under my bed. So I'm not really scared about that. But I think the advent of animal attack films, you know, and a lot of people will point to Jaws as being really the first one, is that it's something grounded in reality. There's no supernatural force. There's no... I mean, sharks are real. Right. Sharks, bears, crocodiles, like all these different animals that we've seen uh i mean even you know there were movies that tried to be jaws like 197 I think 77's orca mm-hmm. which oi oh yeah, that was a movie and a half um it tried to capitalize on on jaws but just didn't have the same impact because you never really have the impact of the the first one even jaws 2 which is the best of the sequels had a really hard time living up to the f- original um i mean i liked it don't get me wrong cuz it's sharks and it's you know uh the cape
1: But what it does is it plays on the fear of the unknown while still being known. So we know what these animals are. We know that these animals exist. However, we are unsure of the predicaments we would find ourselves in uh, if we were ever under attack by one of these animals, like look at you know, sharks, for instance, you have to be in the water. There's no way a shark's gonna come up on land and be like, Hey, I'm gonna eat you. Okay, shark, eat me. Like, that's not gonna happen. You, you have to be in the water. So what better way And and, and you know to kind of get a little Scientific we don't know Everything about the ocean We know more about outer space mm-hmm. And other galaxies uh, Outside of our own Than we do about our own Ocean on this planet
0: We have explored 5% of our Ocean correct So we have no idea and this is going to Come up later on when we discuss uh, A couple of these films so You know We'll, we'll, you know, elaborate and get into more detail, you know, after we, we take our break and really get into the meat of the conversation. But no pun intended for once. But no, you're right. There's there's this fear of the simultaneous known and unknown. Because like we know there's sharks there, but where are they? Like sharks are notoriously... Uh, ambush predators mm-hmm. especially great whites you know you wouldn't think of these things as being ambush predators but they are um and most shark attacks take take place in three to six feet of water
1: yes very shallow
0: water so it's like well i'm not going to go out that far because i don't want to get eaten by a shark you know and it's not you know the majority of shark attacks are not these like 30 foot behemoth you know sharks that you see on tv they're a ten-foot thresher, or you know, an eight-foot bull shark. Mm-hmm. You know, and bull sharks have the added the added terror factor of being able to survive in freshwater. There is, uh, in in India, in the Ganges River, there is a uh, a funerary uh, 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 tradition where corpses are floated down the Ganges River. Um, as part of the religious tradition uh, of, of Hinduism, people were getting killed by the hundreds and the thousands over over you know hundreds of years by these sharks, because the sharks would come up, they'd you know most sharks are opportunistic feeders, mm-hmm. like whatever they come across, they will eat. Most sharks are not uh, super predatory, like a tiger shark you know while being a man eater we'll eat anything that it, that it comes across you know like that famous scene from jaws when they cut the shark open and he's got a uh, license plate yeah. in the stomach you know they will literally eat anything um and if you're wondering how they pass that if they decide that what they're eating is no good they can literally turn their stomach inside out and push the ref- the the rejected food item out of their mouth that way.
1: Oh, wow. I did not know that. Similar
0: to how frogs can turn their stomachs inside out and use their hands to kind of scrape off stuff that they don't want to eat. Sh- anything sharks can't digest uh, or they w- make them sick, they can literally purge themselves that way. And I don't remember if it's all sharks, but I know the larger sharks can do this. So they're very opportunistic feeders. They're not necessarily looking... Uh, Not every shark is looking for them, But if you look or act like you're swimming, like they say in Jaws, like every single human as it's swimming gives the exact same electromagnetic signal as a fish in distress. Yep. Sharks don't have great eyesight. Sharks have a great sense of smell. They also have uh, what's called a lateral line, and it's a series of... um, nerves along the side of their body that picks up uh, these impulses and they're able to detect this because it's just from basically any direction uh it's a uh, ampullae of lorenzini is the clusters of nerves that they use uh at the the front of their face that really uh are their main sensory organs and i really hope i'm pronouncing that correctly because i'm going off the top of my head i don't have notes well, uh,
1: I don't think anyone's going to call you out for it. I'm just saying. Well, I just do. You're throwing a lot of knowledge people's way right I now. I like
0: to be accurate.
1: Okay. But what you're saying, though, is, you know, uh, we... the The average person does not know much about the hunting patterns and the just overall behavior of sharks.
0: Yeah, and basically they've been kind of demonized and...
1: And because of the, it's because of this unknown factor that it's so easy to demonize them because they're hideous looking. They're frightening looking. You see these big, massive creatures that, you know, are super heavy, you know, and they can swim underwater, uh, which, you know, yes, humans can for a short period of time, but we don't have gills. We can't hold our breath, you know, um, and they have these giant massive
0: teeth that can just rip through anything you open yeah you see a shark like how monstrous is that well it's it's literally what it is but I mean it's all it's the depiction in the media and it is how they've what I call the cuteness factor because if you think of and I, I think I've mentioned this on the show years ago a couple years ago towards the beginning and it's something I stand by If you think of a scary, terrifying monster, you can see in the dark, it's silent, and right when it's about to strike, it latches onto you with its huge, curved claws, and it just grabs you so you can't get away and starts biting you. I just described your kitten. Meow. People, the majority of people, don't think sharks are cute. I think they're friggin' adorable. I love sharks. You are not most people. I want to hug them, and we can play, and then we'll snuggle up on the couch and watch TV. And you can just curl up by my feet and just sleep there and purr. That's what sharks will do.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, sure.
0: My biology might be off a little bit on this. Just a little bit. But that's the point. Like, sharks are scary. I mean, what's scarier to you, a shark or a bear? People will say shark. Well, why? The only time a shark can get you, like you said, is if you're in the water. Bears can come into your house. This is true. You know, and what's wrong? You know, bears have huge claws and they can chase you. But bears
1: are also cute. Bears can be cute.
0: That's the thing. We have uh, demonized sharks and crocodiles and, you know, larger lizards and insects and things that, you know very small portions of the of of the 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 communities will see these as cute, lovable animals. But because of different forms of media, you know, the the sharks are. uh, terrifying. like we look at um, and you and I have talked about this, look at what's going on at Cape Cod right now, Mm -hmm. there is an inundation of seals. There are just tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of seals. And the sharks come up to eat the seals. Sharks aren't interested in eating people. No matter what you read, no matter what you hear about, sharks are not interested in people. Sharks have a very high metabolism because they have to swim constantly or they will die. Like that's literally even when they sleep, they are still swimming. Because they have to constantly have their mouths open and pass water over their gills in order to extract the oxygen.
1: Right. So when they feed, they want to eat something that has a high enough nutrient capacity to give them the energy to do what they need to do.
0: They would, when you hear a story of a shark biting someone and letting them go, it's not because sharks don't like the taste of people. It's because sharks use their teeth the way we use our hands. That is their sensory input. So when a shark bites into a person, it can tell that it's there's just, not it's a just lot of... just
1: shaking your hand.
0: Right. It's saying, hi, hey, I found this severed leg. Is it yours? No, it's, it's testing to see how much fat you have on your body. A shark would much rather eat a seal because seals are loaded with blubber and because a shark's digestive system takes so long to process any food because it's slowly breaking down all the fat, so to keep up its metabolism so it doesn't die of starvation, mm-hmm. it would much rather eat something with a lot of fat, and that's what it's testing. What is the risk-reward? This screaming, flailing thing you know, that's pounding on my face, should I continue trying to eat this, or is it worth it to just let it go and swim somewhere else? The problem is, because sharks are so powerful, have such strong jaws, even a cursory-like I wonder what this is—an investigatory bite, a
1: sample bite.
0: That's really what it is. It's like try. It's like you know, you walk into Wegman's and they're like, "Hey, would you like
1: a free sample?"
0: Try this, you know, little turkey muffin. Try this
1: human; it's delicious.
0: And that's really what they're doing. Like, what is this? Is this something I could eat? Is this something I should eat? They don't really want to eat you, you know. Most of the time, like when we were at the Cape last year, there was a sign up that said, "Don't go swimming; shark sighted recently." And they were idiots swimming with the seals, and they were dressed in goddamn wetsuits. It's like going I mean, to uh, uh, the a... The Darwin
1: Award, you know?
0: It's like going to uh, a cannibal party and dressing like uh, a bacon wrap scallop. It's like, hey, guys, look at me. Like, why would you dress as an appetizer? So that's the, that's the issue. So we have these seals at the Cape, and the seals draw sharks. But all, everyone wants, all anybody wants to do is like, well, we've got to kill the sharks, we've got to kill the sharks, we've got to kill the sharks, we've got to kill the sharks. It's like, no, get rid of the goddamn seals. The seals showing up, there's maybe tagged sharks right now, there's less than 20 on the cape. Because I, I have the Sharktivity app that shows me all the different white sharks that have been tagged. So say about 20, 25 sharks, you know, because who knows what hasn't been tagged. Mm-hmm. but there are hundreds if not thousands of seals all along like we went to the, the beach last year in the off season you know middle of september and there were two dozen seals on the beach the seals are the ones that are eating the fish which is impacting the fishing industry which for a lot of people on the cape that's their goddamn livelihood yep it's not the sharks that are doing it. the sharks are just following the seals So, but all anyone wants to do is, well, the seals are cute and the seals are nice, and look at them. They, you know, look
2: at the little sea puppies.
0: Yeah, sea puppies, the water dogs. You know, they look like our dogs. They look like a pet. A shark is not a pet. So they want to kill the shark. That was a seal. That was a pretty good seal. So they want to kill the seals, or kill the sharks, but not the seals. Like, oh, don't touch the seals. Don't remove well, I mean, the seals. And, we don't want to disrupt ultimately, the ecosystem, you but really, fuck the sharks.
1: Okay, so if you really want to go into that, I mean, seeing as we're there, what you really need to do is scale back on global warming. It is climate change that is causing the seals to go further north, which is causing the sharks to migrate further north. And, you know, sharks are just following their food supply. So sharks are just being sharks.
0: Right. You know, seals...
1: Like, the seals are just being seals because... And again, you know, the seals are just following their food supply.
0: But the then fish. people will start feeding them at the beach. Oh, hey, seal, have some fries. Well, that's because hey people are stupid and people <laughs> need to be educated
1: appropriately. But anyways, getting back to the sharks and the effect of shark movies... On the shark population, over the past what? When was Jaws? 1975. So that was the first major one. Since then, we have had a multitude of shark movies. Movies, hundreds that show sharks in a negative light. They Turkish demonize. Jaws. Ah, Sharks you know and then now we have sharknados and we have megalodons which you know megalodons were real at one point back in like the prehistoric era but they are extinct or so we believe them to be boom,
3: boom, boom.
1: Um, you know we're, we're pretty sure they're extinct but again having only searched 5% of our oceans we don't really know what's down there Um. But anyways, these movies have had a certain impact on the shark population because these sharks have been demonized. People view these sharks, all sharks, as being evil, and we need to get rid of them. They are a problem, even though they are a valuable part of our ecosystem and they are important. And if you don't bother them, they won't bother you. If you don't want to get bit by a shark, get out of the fucking water.
0: Uh, and that's the thing, like people think you know And then and
1: now you have poaching and people, you know, these killing. big game hunting assholes. Yes, and, and and just you know, people killing sharks for the sake of killing sharks.
0: And like they don't and, and you know, in certain cultures it's like, okay, we're going to they catch the sharks, they cut off their fins and throw the sharks back into the water. Yeah. So they just drown because they can't move. Uh, shark fins essentially operate the same way a, a, an airplane wings work. You know, they dip their wing to move one way or the other, um, you know, to go left, right, up, down. Right. Um, and if a
1: shark isn't moving, water isn't passing over its gills, it's not getting oxygen, the shark will drown.
0: Yeah. So, and that's what they do. They cut off the thing and they just drop it back in the water. Uh, so you have like these big game hunting assholes, you know, like the same assholes who who fly over to Africa and, you know, go to these game preserves and shoot giraffes or lions. You know, it's a thrill. It's, it's it's. it's ooh, look at this big scary thing. Look how much of a big man I am by standing on a boat and firing fucking, you know, uh, uh, high-powered rifle rounds from the safety of the goddamn crow's nest. Um, but it's also these same people who will... You know, it's like these assholes. I forget where it was. It was in in Montana, maybe. They were like, oh, there's too many wolves. So they went out and they killed all the goddamn wolves. And you know what happened? The fucking deer population exploded. And then they came out and the deer destroyed all the crops. It's like, you have to have predatory animals. It's like, yeah, they can be dangerous, but you need them there. They are part of the ecosystem.
1: To quote Jeff Goldblum... In Jurassic Park, life finds uh, a way. It does. Nature has a way of creating its own checks and balances.
0: Right. There are wolves. Nature
1: is amazing. And half the time, most of the time, we just need to leave it alone. Let it do its thing. A lot of the issues that we have are due to human intervention. And it's not a good thing. Not a good thing.
0: Right. You know... Most of the time people are like, oh, we have a good idea. It's generally not,
1: you know, and I'm not saying that these movies are solely to, to, to blame, but I think what people need to do is, you know what? I love shark movies. I think they are entertaining as somebody who loves the ocean. I almost studied marine biology at one point. Um, I am a sea witch. I love the ocean so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy these movies, but I watch these movies knowing that this isn't real. These, this, it's not what's portrayed on film. Is not typical shark behavior.
0: No, like with. It's not
1: even aggressive, aggravated shark behavior. You know, it's, it's Hollywood shark behavior. And you have to really divorce yourself from this is what's real versus this is what's fake. And if you can do that, then I think Hollywood should definitely continue to make these movies because they make money and they are entertaining. But if people, you know, don't seek the education, I mean, watch Finding Nemo. They try to reform themselves. You know fish are friends not food
0: Yeah I mean But that's more I know. Hollywoodization too. No
1: I know but still But I mean the thing is people need To educate themselves and if you Don't know something you need to look It up and realize That even if it seems Real make believe is make believe
0: I don't think our listeners Have much of an issue with that Because I think Certain things that we've said and certain views that we've expressed on this show mm-hmm. would have scared away uh, the, the type of people who uh, surround themselves with a blanket of... Uh, like, Harry Potter has his cloak of invisibility. They have their cloak of ignorance. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, ha-ha, the facts can't see me. You know, science isn't real. You know, things like that. I don't I don't think we have much of that to worry about. But you're right. Like, If you don't know something... Or you think that this is how things are because you saw it on TV. Maybe find a better way to, to get your information. So um, I think what we should do is take a quick break. Uh, we're going to hear from uh, some of our, our, our friends. And when we come back, we are going to really get into the, uh, the meat of this discussion and talk about these different shark films. So we'll Four sharks! If you please. Do you love a scary story? Do you love to dance? Put the big scary monster on
3: Hey guys, this is James Thomas, director of Megalodon, and you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. Hello,
2: this is the Sasquatch, a.k.a. Bigfoot, but you can just call me Frank, and when I'm not stomping around the woods throwing rocks at hunters, I like to listen to the Paranormal Punchers podcast. That's right, Paranormal Punchers. They talk about all things paranormal, and they're hilarious. Go find them on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and ParanormalPunches.com.
0: And we are back. So, we're going to start this off by talking about, uh, really, the film that started it all off, that started this phenomenon. Uh, We're talking, of course, about 1975's Jaws, Uh, and it's a film, if you are unfamiliar with it, it is based on the book by Peter Benchley, stars uh, Roy Scheider as uh, Chief uh, Martin Brody, has uh, Richard Dreyfuss as Matt Hooper, Robert Shaw as Quint, and... Basically, this is based off of, and it's referenced in the movie, the 1916 uh, Jersey Shore shark attacks, where a shark came into the Jersey Shore and started killing people that were having fun on July Fourth weekend, and it was really like the first big, uh, you know, uh, um, exposure that people had to the dangers of shark attacks, especially in like uh, shallow water. Mm-hmm. You know, so close to shore and where it's not something that, you know, if you're in Australia, you're in, uh, uh, you know, Florida, places like that, you're used to shark attacks It people weren't used to it so far north, um, which is typical because great white sharks like cooler water. They don't like it to be too, too warm. They don't like it to be too, too cold. Um, but. We see this film. We see this shark, and you know, again, this is what we were talking about earlier. This is a shark that has like a single-minded purpose. Like it's almost like a a, a uh, it has a vendetta against the town of Amity
1: for some reason.
0: Yeah. It first it just happens to be that it's uh, the, the 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 explanation that uh, Dreyfus's Matt Hooper gives, and Hooper is from the Oceanographic Institute, which is most likely Woods Hole. Um, which is the same Oceanographic Institute where uh, Robert Ballard worked, and he was the guy who did, who found the Titanic. He found the actual like final resting place of the Titanic. Like he went down and, and found it long before James Cameron did. Um, so Woods Hole is a real Oceanographic Institute, and you know he comes in because the the town is very dependent on tourist money because tourists are only there. Essentially, it, it's like any uh, summer town up north. Uh, from May to late Memorial Day to Labor Day, we'll say that's a, that's about the season where you go and the wa the the weather's really nice, the water's really warm, as warm as it's going to get, um, and the most people are on the beach. And so July Fourth weekend obviously is a huge, huge money maker. And this happens: the shark attack, a girl gets killed, and the mayor and some of the other uh, higher ups in the town tell the chief, who's new, like, "Hey, listen." This is probably a boat accident, not a shark attack. So, you know, I mean, that happens, you know, boat accident, girl goes out, she's drinking, you know, and her, her and her friends are drinking and she drinks too much. She gets tired, she falls asleep, gets run over by a boat. That's probably what happened. But then Hooper comes in and says, no, this is a rogue shark. This is a shark attack. Um... And this, the shark just terrorizes Amity the whole the whole time. So finally they have to hire someone to kill it. And, you know, that's the whole adventure of the movie right there. But the shark seems to take this personally, you know, following them and hunting them. And right,
1: like the shark becomes a character and it becomes a villainous character. Like the shark is the sole villain in this movie like if the shark wasn't there you wouldn't have a movie it would just be a bunch of people at the beach for a couple of hours and that would suck
0: right but i mean this this isn't typical shark behavior and it gets to the point where you know in some of the sequels like another shark comes back and then
1: destroys a boat like you never hear stories of that of sharks not a boat that size no No. and, and not in that way
0: um but, I mean, it gets to the point where, you know, the offspring of the shark hunts down Brody's family, like, 20 years later. Like, his his oldest son is a marine biologist, and like, it's it's ridiculous. This isn't typical shark behavior. Sharks don't hold grudges. They just look for their next meal. Like, again, like we were saying, if the like, risk psst, outweighs hey, the reward. What, guys? This shark
1: doesn't give a fuck.
0: Yeah, in real life, a shark is, if you Sharks like, don't care. oh, you tried to kill me. Well, I guess I'll just hunt you to the ends of the earth. Sharks
1: don't care. Sharks going to be like, you know what? I don't feel like expending that much energy. I'm just going to go eat a seal.
0: Yeah, fuck this. I'm out. I'm going to go eat some Toodles. mackerel. Yeah. <laughs> but this really paved the way because you know, as we talked about in our episode, well, it definitely
1: paves the way for sharks being the villain and, and being yes. a character in and of itself.
0: Well, I was going to say it also, you know, it really was the first summer blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also one of the first films um, because of the lack of, uh, you know, a functioning shark it was uh, really a horror film, and, like, it created this suspense and this terror, this, you know, just when you thought it was safe to go back to the water, you know, Jaws 2, like, it made you not want to go into, I mean, and Brody even says that. Like, you know, like, I don't want people to be afraid, you know, talk about his son, I don't want him to never go in the water again. You know, he just wanted it to be, to be safe. Um, but yeah, Jaws was really the first one that kinda kicked this off and people started realizing, holy shit, sharks are fucking scary. And we see this over the next, you know, twenty, thirty years, we see this explosion in not just shark movies, but you know, scary unknown like uh you know, there's crocodile movies like uh,
1: Lake Placid.
0: Lake Placid there's that other one. With the uh, the real story about the crocodile named Gustav that killed three hundred people, I don't remember the name of it. Um, but there was um, there was some different takes on we shark- like sand sharks, like where sharks could swim through the sand and were attacking people on the beach. And then there was uh, piranha was another one. You know, there's all kinds of like crazy films like this. That capitalize on a similar genre. It's they're clearly all rip offs of Jaws, just trying to do it in a different way. It's like, oh no, these things are mutated, or oh no, this is not normal behavior. At least with some of those films, they mention that, but they mention it in passing, and it it's overshadowed by, you know, the the the, the topless girls getting eaten by the main monsters of the films. But once late 90s and early 2000s started you really saw this huge explosion of ridiculous premises uh for shark you know like we have a couple of mega shark versus giant octopus mega shark versus crocosaurus and then they started you know once the gene sequencing and gene splicing thing came in you know dna manipulation started with jurassic park that gave way to stuff like uh uh Sharktopus. Oh, that was great. Sharktopus versus terracuda, which is half barracuda, half pterodactyl. Sharktopus versus whale wolf, which is a wolf and an orca. You know, and there are these ridiculous premises, but like these movies keep getting made because people are inherently afraid of sharks because sharks are big and scary.
1: Well, and I feel like the natural progression of that would be for sharks to somehow morph with weather.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, I didn't even forget the anthropomorphization of sharks. The Street Sharks cartoon, Uh, Jabberjaws, Jabberjaw in the the '60s. Um, Not to mention some of the uh, characters. Like uh, the Flash has a villain named King Shark. Uh, Namor, the Submariner, who uh, was the inspiration. Marvel's version of Aquaman. Well, really, Aquaman is DC's version version of Namor, but. He has uh, one of his chief rivals is tiger shark, you know, so there's a lot of anthropomorphization of sharks. So sharks can be the villain, but they're also at least vaguely humanoid. Mm -hmm. So you're not actively rooting against the 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 uh, the fish you're rooting against this bad person. But, yeah, eventually, you know, and I, I I've gotten into this before. Aquatic animals falling from the sky during a storm is nothing new. It's happened before. Like, there were, uh, in India, some uh, tadpoles rained down and hatched into frogs on the way. It was weird. Like, uh, not turned into frogs, but, like, you know, tadpoles hatched and landed in ponds. And then months, you know, however long the gestation period is, you know, these frogs came out of the water. You know like weird shit like fish have fallen From the sky you know in giant Storms like this so yes The, nec- the next natural progression Would be sharks and weather And that of course gives us 2013's Sharknado Now This was um, A very uh, What's the word uh, Ambitious idea And this is something that uh, Asylum Pictures and sci-fi really looked at and said, you know what, we like this idea. And, you know, for all the people, uh, I am one of them, all the people that complain that there is no originality left in Hollywood. But then they see something like Sharknado and they don't even give it a chance. And we had an interaction on Facebook earlier today. It was like, "Oh, I have no interest in this because it's stupid." And it said that the the Rotten Tomatoes critic you know audience score was low. It's like, well, have you watched it? No. Well, then you really can't make any comments on it about you know because you haven't seen it. Give it a chance. You might like it. That's what we did. I first saw it and I was like, "That's ridiculous," but it's big dumb fun. Like that's what Sharknado is. It's not. Trying to be scientifically accurate. It's not trying to be like, oh, this is certainly what would exactly happen. Oh, uh, uh, a shark is flying at me. I'll just chop it in half with a chainsaw or I'll leap into its mouth and cut my way out.
1: Well, and I think that they – Asylum didn't – I'm assuming that they didn't realize – the phenomenon that they had on their hands when they initially released sharknado i feel like it was just going to be you know sharknado was going to be our summer sci-fi blockbuster you know because they, they usually come out with one every summer but for the past six several years it's, it's
0: six years it's every year 2013 14 15 16 17 18 oh my god Every year.
1: I'm I'm having a moment. But here's the thing. But, you know, I I feel like when they started this journey, they didn't plan. They they didn't set out to make multiple movies of this. They just, you know, wanted this was going to be their summer blockbuster. This was going to be what rivaled whatever was in theaters that summer.
0: Well, see, Asylum also has put out uh, Asylum. What they do. uh, This is our our, our, uh, friend of the show, Paulina Laurent. Described as mockbusters, so whenever there's a big uh, movie that's going to be coming out, they will do a mockbuster of it. So for every RoboCop, there is an Android Cop. For every Transformers, there's a Transmorphers. Alien versus Predator becomes Alien versus Hunter. Uh, so there's there's a lot of uh, you know playing off. Our plot's going to be different. You know, there's Atlantic Rim. So mm-hmm. there's our plot's going to be different. But we're going to kind of capitalize on the name recognition. But they've done... Like
1: this past summer, they did Triassic. Triassic
0: World with Paulina Laurent. Um, And uh, Haley J. Williams. Both very good in this film. Go check that that one out. Um, But they've done dozens of shark movies. I mean, there's Ghost Shark, Avalanche Sharks. You know, think about the stuff that aired this week. Santa Shark, Swarm. Uh, two-headed shark attack, three-headed shark attack, five-headed shark attack, six-headed shark attack. Um, Actually, somebody on on Twitter, good friend of the Best Darn Diddly Show, uh, teach that ash on Twitter, uh, made a great point about six-headed shark attack. Why do all six shark shark heads need to eat when they only have one stomach? I don't know. Maybe it's segmented like a cow, and it's segmented into four different ones in each head things independently. I don't know, but that's a good point. I think she made an interesting point. But they've done tons of these movies. Like, to your point, they've done tons of these movies, but this one somehow, maybe it was because of the cast, maybe it was because, you know, uh, Ian Ziering and and Tara Reid and John Hurd from Home Alone, you know, maybe because of that they were able to um, they were able to really, like, Get this cult following, and people are like you know what? This is a good idea. I like this. It's fun. It was done well. Uh, it was very interesting. Uh, for people who don't know, the Sharknado movies. The, this was an idea that was written by uh, Anthony Ferrante, who I still kick myself because Anthony Ferrante and 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 Thunder Levin, the director of all six movies. We're both at Rock and Shock in 2013, and somehow I didn't get a chance to go meet them. I mean, I know why, but, like, I should... That's one of my great regrets of not meeting those guys.
1: Well, you never know.
0: I'm hoping they'll they'll come back, you know, or at least do something else now, you know, collaborate on something else now that they're not doing... uh Sharknado. But one of the other things I I have to point out about this film. Yeah, there's six of them. But you know what? This is one of the few franchises that progressed naturally. It didn't add in a ton of extra characters that really added nothing to the story or... fundamentally change what it's a group of people trying to stop sharks flying around in tornadoes yeah have they gone to space damn right they have everybody's gone to space though jason went to space leprechaun went to space
1: he also went into the hood
0: twice twice but here's the thing this is a franchise that has stayed true to its roots Not many franchises can say that. I mean, how many goddamn Fast and Furious movies are there? Eight? Now they're a a gang of international fucking anti-terrorists or whatever the fuck they do now. Wasn't this a series of movies about car racing? When did they turn into fucking James Bond?
1: Okay, but getting back to the shark movies.
0: That's what I'm saying. Like, This is a series. Like, People like to give this series a ton of shit and talk so poorly about it, but there's so much that goes into it, and people don't... Like we uh, we were talking about, we talked with Tara Reid at Comic-Con, and her point was, it's a lot more difficult to act poorly than it is to act... Uh, to, 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 to act in a serious role. I know Wolfie's laughing at me, but what... No, I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing at that statement. It's hard to act poorly. If you're not a good actress in the first place, it's not that hard. Right, but you have a lot of, like, Vivica A. Fox is a ve- very talented actress, and she appears in uh, most, if not all, of these films. I mean, she was in uh, Independence Day, she was in Kill Bill Volume 1. She's a talented actress. Changing your acting style to act. You know, in a in a uh, over the top manner is what she was saying is a lot more difficult because I think one of the things people and this goes for all the movies on this list uh, aside from Jaws is (sighs) the misconception is that these actors just phone it in and don't give a shit about their performance and that's it couldn't be further from the truth they're just playing the character that's been written for them they're not intentionally acting badly. They are playing up to what the audience expectation is like these aren't going to be you know cannes Film Festival or or Oscar bait like, these are movies that are fun science fiction shark shark movies.
1: Oh, I get to talk now, yeah oh cool, great um, hi, I have a show too um, yeah, so the thing about the Sharknado movies, though, is that, you know, Jaws, it's one shark, one shark becoming a character in the movie. In the Sharknado movies, it's multiple sharks making up this Sharknado that kind of becomes its own character. It's kind of weird to see say describe but you know and and that becomes the villain so it's not just one shark it's many sharks and in some instances it's not just one shark nato it's many shark natos but it's the idea of a shark nato that becomes the character and that becomes the threat that they're fighting against and the sharks are almost secondary like they're just a part of it So it's like, you know, not only can you get swept up in this tornado, but, oh, hey, there's sharks.
0: Well, they also had uh, uh, a lot of flooding. And that was part of the the, the way that the sharks were getting to people in the in the first film.
1: Right. But what I'm saying is the sharks didn't have any like, you know, the shark from Jaws, Bruce, right? Bruce, yeah, named um, after
0: Spielberg's lawyer,
1: you know, uh, had characteristics of its own you know was its own character yeah where these sharks and the Sharknados were just they were just sharks they were
0: just sharks they, they were, were just, just doing sharks what sharks do.
1: being sharks
0: they were trying to adapt to their new environment their new situation so when a shark got you know dumped onto the la expressway you know it swam around because it swims around in water like it was flooded so it swam around eating people in their cars that was a different element mm-hmm. that you didn't see like it wasn't the sharks of the sharknado. It was the sharks because of the sharknado, like the 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 tornado that sucked up the sharks and started you know heaving them and displacing them. I mean, like I know I would be grumpy if I got displaced from you know I'm just like sitting around doing what I'm doing. And, like all of a sudden someone took me and like launched me into somebody else's house. Like I'd be pretty pissed off too. So you know I can understand that but i get your point like it's these sharks don't have any defining characteristics they're essentially extras whereas okay. the shark from jaws was that was the shark like and that was the, the the antagonist of the film
1: you go into a movie like the meg which is our current summer blockbuster um you know the meg the megalodon is a character in and of itself like that is the main adversary That is what's causing all of the issues for the, you know, the shark is the protagonist.
0: Antagonist.
1: Antagonist.
0: I mean, it could be, you could argue that either way, um, especially where it's named after, you know, like the Meg, like it's the Megalodon. Like that's, you know. Generally, if the movie's named after you, you're the...
1: Well, I mean, I also... I don't want to see too much because this movie is still, like, super new in theaters, and I, I don't want to, like, be... Enter spoilerific territory. Yeah, yeah. We're
0: not going to spoil but, stuff. But,
1: you know, in I have feelings that the shark isn't the bad guy. That if things were left alone the way that they should be, that...
0: Well, the whole... It, it, this goes back to the exploration of the ocean, like... There's a reason So uh, The guy who wrote the Meg Steve Alton also wrote another book Called Vostok And it deals with similar themes Where there is this massive 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 Lake underneath the ice of Antarctica Like this is real it's actually there And over the years there's been A lot of scientific debate Over should we drill down to see You know, you know biologists like Oh it would be so great to drill down there and see what's What's in there but other people are like, well, what happens if there's a long dormant virus or you some don't sort want of to disrupt
1: form? that ecosystem? Right.
0: Because you don't know if it's compatible. Again, you know, if there's like some sort of long dormant virus that gets out and then wipes out half the population of the of the planet. And then you have World War Z. Right. So this is one of those like man is intruding into an area where he has no business, there's no reason, like, you know, it's all about...
1: Well, and, and again, it's one of those, n- nature provides, nature does what it needs to do. Right. So I feel like, you know, going into uncharted territories, in that aspect, things that have a barrier, things that are clearly blocked off, mm-hmm. you know, contained, what have you, that, no, we should not enter that... And that's
0: what we see in the Meg, they, right. they're they going like, oh, we've always believed that this is the bottom of the ocean, but my theory states that it's just like a cloud and we can go through it and there's a whole new ecosystem. And the scientists people are like, yeah, we should explore this and see what kind of new life forms we see. But again, when you disturb the natural order, nature has a way of trying to balance those things out. And the shark in the Meg is just being a fucking shark. It but is. But the problem is... You know, like what we saw, you know, with with the the whole thing with the wolves, you're introducing this creature, this, I mean, this thing was huge for the movie, Uh, I mean, Megalodons were probably about 50 to 60 feet, 40 to 60 feet long. This one was probably, what, 90 feet? Easily. When you have a, a creature that big, an apex predator that big, there's no... There's no uh, there's no check in place to keep it from just running amok. Like, you know, we see in the film, like, it, you know, people are shooting at it. It's like, yeah, you're just going to piss it off if it even notices what you're doing in the first place. Like, it has no natural enemies. It's just going to swim around. Hopefully, you know, it's not in some sort of gestation period where it's not going to birth, you know, more of these remorseless eating machines. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, you have to kill this. And this is like, you know, would go against every biologist everywhere. It's like, you don't want to kill this thing. This is a scientific find of the century. Like, we can learn this from this thing. We can study it. But but at the same
1: time, it's disrupting the ecosystem. It's just going to swim around and, and kill
0: everything it comes in contact right. with until it dies.
1: Right. And And part of it does have like a Jaws-like feel to it because... Of
0: oh, this be- movie tried hard to be Jaws. It really. And Finding did. Nemo. And Finding Nemo, like just keep swimming. Like it tried really hard to be Jaws. Like there were a lot of references to Jaws, other Jaws films.
1: But it was a similar situation to Jaws in which the Megalodon becomes a character in and of itself. And it's portrayed as the bad guy, even though... Is it really?
0: I don't think it's really portrayed as the bad guy. I think it's just like, we have to stop this because it's a threat, but it's because we fucked up. You know? Like, the shark just... Like, it's not, oh, the shark's coming to get us, you know, because it knows that we pissed it off. Right.
1: Right. But um, the difference between the Megalodon and the shark from Jaws is the shark from Jaws is a great white. We can observe great whites in nature. Mm -hmm. We can create characteristics and we can create a character that is super believable. We can only speculate what Megalodons were like.
0: Right. uh
1: I mean, you know, we do have some fossils.
0: The fossils we have, we have uh, jaws, teeth, um, maybe, if you're lucky, some spine. But sharks are cartilage. They don't have bone skeletons, so they don't leave behind uh, fossils the way dinosaurs would. So pretty much everything is speculation. So the accepted assumption is that great white wi- uh, Megalodons are essentially 60-foot great whites. Mm-hmm. But based on the time period, other animals that existed, a lot of people think that it's maybe closer towards to a a tiger shark. And if you re watch Jaws, and we were talking about this last night, tiger sharks and great whites fundamentally differ in so many different in so many ways. Like a tiger shark has a wide flat snout, um, because it's a an opportunistic predator. Um Whereas a great white has a pointed snout that is built for speed and ambush attacks. So a lot of time we see this, you know, this is like some of the most amazing footage from Shark Weeks is the sharks leaping up out of the water to get the seals. Mm-hmm. Sharks will attack from th- these sharks will attack from underneath, which is why their their coloring pattern is the way it is. You know, if you're a seal and you're swimming along and you look down, you can't really make out the difference between a shark. you know, the the body of the shark looking down on it because it's gray and you know the water so that's why it's it looks the way it does um that was one of the issues i had with the megalodon where it's in this these this deep dark trench where it wouldn't have any eyesight because there's no light there's nothing down there sunlight doesn't penetrate six miles down you know after a few hundred feet there's no sunlight um so this you know this thing in the book it's it's you know albino it's blind there's no reason for it to be able to you know it's attracted to light in the movie but as you know we discussed earlier sharks have other sensory uh, organ organs that they use to detect their prey and that's what happens i think there's you know there had to be some things done for the plot but it's it was very interesting the way they did it, because you have to just speculate and again, this is a summer blockbuster it 's a big budget action film it 's really what it was this wasn 't a documentary by any means it 's a big budget action film, so you have to give the people what they want, and the people want to see great white sharks and you know seventy eighty ninety foot great white sharks mm-hmm. and you know again what's the what 's the uh, what does it look like? Nobody really knows we don 't know what the coloring would be we don 't know what the You know the 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 fins would look like we don't. We can only speculate based on similar fossils that we have discovered from living creatures. You know, which is why for so long dinosaurs were look looked like lizards because we didn't have complete fossil records. Now we know that most dinosaurs had fucking feathers. Mm
2: -hmm. You know,
0: it changes the it changes your perception. You know, a raptor was three feet tall and looked like a a a turkey. You know, not like the stuff you see in Jurassic Park and that kind of. Brings us into Megalodon. Now, with Megalodon, the shark looks uh, very different. I think the way they designed it, um, because, again, you don't know what it looks like. Uh, You didn't get a lot of backstory as to where the shark came from. It just appeared. You know, like it was attracted to noise.
1: It appeared, yeah, it was attracted to noise, which would be characteristic of a megalodon. Yep. But it, was, it came from the depths of the ocean. They were deep down in the ocean. They were
0: deep down. Not as deep as in the Meg. Not no, like Challenger Deep. But they, deep, were,
1: but they deep. were pretty deep. So, you know, I will give them credit for that. You know, a, a, just depths of the ocean kind of disrupt yeah, I mean, a little bit. The
0: fucking giant squid was a myth until a few years ago. You
1: know, so, I mean, it's, it's completely plausible. Yeah. That they could have encountered it by going down just a little too low.
0: Yeah, and they attracted it because they were uh, they were yeah they were making noise. Russian sub. They were trying to drill into uh, a communications cable so they could tap into uh, uh, sensitive communications in the United States. That's what they're. It was basically a spy mission, but they added you know like some some ridges and some like armor plating because there are. Uh, there is the um, precedent for that. The dunkleostis was an armored fish, uh, closely related to sharks that lived around the same time as the Megalodon. Um, it had armor plating, so they gave this this version, their version of the shark, a little bit of armor plating, uh, especially like up along the the spine, in front and behind the the main dorsal fin. So I thought that was really good because it really gave it this, you know, while it had the the great white aesthetic, it also had this, you know, prehistoric, you mm-hmm. know, relic of a forgotten past look to it. Yes. So I really liked that design. Now, a lot of people give uh, Asylum and sci-fi a hard time based on their, their, uh, their CGI, but when you don't have a $150 million budget, remember... Visual effects are one of the most expensive things you're going to spend your money on, other than you know your your main cast salary. And I made a prediction before I saw this movie, and I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned it here as well a few times. That I thought Megalodon was going to be a more realistic, grounded film than uh, the Meg, and. Go ahead or say which it was it was and what's great about megalodon is the megalodon in this case wasn't even the primary threat nope it was and this really brings out and we're gonna we're gonna hear from some of the folks who worked on the film but um one of the biggest things was they were the, the, the naval vessel where we saw uh, Dominic Pace's uh, Captain Streeper and, um, you know, uh, uh, Carolyn Harris's Commander Lynch, Michael Madsen's uh, Admiral King, Elizabeth Cron and Paulina Laurent as Munoz and, and Chang. They were on a naval vessel. They, were, they just happened to find this disabled Russian sub. They're like, what the hell are they doing down there? And they were able to go and bring these people back. So their main concern was, what the hell are these Russians doing? You know, what's going on with these people? And then the shark, it just happens to come along and be like the secondary threat. Like, it's not the primary threat. And again, you know, the shark is a character, but you're more concerned with what's going on in the the human aspect of it. mean yes you have to fight this massive they didn't say how big it was but it was large enough to chomp down on a submarine Mm -hmm. and that scene was great and i I really want to give credit to ego in this in this scene because he played the cold calculating russian uh commander like to a t he just like shuts the door off seals himself and there's guys banging on the door and he looks at his his comrades and says well they're already dead because they're outside the door so i could let him in but it would potentially you know put us in danger so screw that guy he's dead but the shark is is secondary it's not like that and that's what you really don't get in any of these films with the exception of Jaws, like there's more human drama. Yes. Like the dynamic between Quint and Brody and, 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 um, Hooper. Hooper. I was going to say Shaw. And it's like, no, Shaw is, that's, that's the guy. Shaw is Quint. And in reality, you know, this is a, a big difference between Megalodon and, and Jaws. Everybody hated working on Jaws. The working conditions were terrible. Like they were over budget and, you know Robert Shaw and, and Richard Dreyfuss fucking hated each other. They did not want to be close. Like so, all the animosity that you see between them is real. They did not like each other.
1: Oh, you mean they weren't acting?
0: No. Whereas, seeing you know the the dynamic between the different characters in Megalodon, like these folks can't talk highly enough about each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know that's where you know you see this departure from, you know, these typical Asylum films where you just automatically, oh, well, it's another Asylum Shark movie. This is going to be dumb. But, like...
1: Well, and when we uh, had them on uh, a bit ago... Episode 101. To discuss, you know, the anticipation of Megalodon and to tell us what they could tell us about the characters and this movie, um, they were really... Excited about it But they really couldn't stress enough That this wasn't your typical asylum film And that it strived to be You know, yes, there were some circumstances That were, you know, bizarre And that's a staple for asylum But um, it was to be taken more seriously Than your average asylum film And I think that definitely came across while watching Megalodon. It it had a different tone to it than Sharknado. It had a different tone to it than Six Headed Shark Attack. You know, it wasn't as outlandish and the acting wasn't as outlandish. The writing wasn't as crazy. It was a lot more toned down. And I think it gives you know and this and that the, the, the effects and the CGI and everything, it's like they really set out to, you know, and and not to deter Asylum fans, you know, from, who enjoy these crazy, bizarre, outlandish films. Like me. You know, well, and myself included, but to kind of attract a different crowd, you know, to kind of show that, hey, like we do other things too, and we can stay within the genre, but we can do something else.
0: Yeah, and, the stuff that they did was based on science fact and like they reached conclusions based on evidence and based on the pre And you know me, you know how I hate when, when films start off with like, here are the rules. And it's like, Oh, well, well, fuck that. Like, you know, you know, it's when it's like, well, there's only one way we can do this. And it's like, well, what if we try this completely different way? Because plot convenience, you know, I hate that. I hate when a film says, "Here are the rules," and now we're going to ignore them in order to advance the plot. Mm-hmm. There is a f- scene where they talk about a Faraday cage, and not only is a Faraday cage a real thing, the way they talk about it and the usage of it is accurate. That is not something you get. You know, again, you get uh, the the less realistic Sharknado, where it's like. How do we stop this tornado? I know we throw dynamite into it. Like, that's not accurate, but it's like, hey, this shark, this massive goddamn shark is heading towards Hawaii. Like, that's where its path is taking it. Well, how can we stop it? Well, what if we, you know, what happened on the on the, the Russian sub? Well, this is what happened. Okay, so now we know how to attract it. Let's try to attract the shark back back here to keep it away from Hawaii. It wasn't like, Oh, I, I'm a shark and that and there's some military people. Let me go after them because plot reasons like that's not, that's not the shark's motivation. The shark Mm -hmm. is I'm a shark. I'm attracted to these electromagnetic signals. Let me go after this. So, you know, that's one of the things I liked. It was more grounded in reality. And, you know, there was a lot of character development without, you know, exhaustive backstory that really doesn't pay off later. Or, you know, how many times have you seen something where it's like, you know, oh, this thing happened when I was a kid and I mentioned it at the beginning of the movie, but then it comes in to there play. There wasn't at the
1: end. any unnecessary exposition.
0: There was no. There were no unnecessary scenes. There were no unnecessary, like, you know, gratuitous violence shots, things like that. What? Well, I'm just...
1: Keep going. There you was, seem like you have a lot more to say.
0: I do. There was... It was real. Like, you know, the the relationships that the characters had were real, like you cared about what they said, you cared about what happened to them, you cared about whether or not they were going to make it, there was real tension, you know, it wasn't like, oh yeah, well you know this guy's going to be because he's the main character, you know this guy's going to be safe because, you know, his name's first billing. It was refreshing to see things done the way they were in this film, and I really appreciated it. You know, the, the ending of The Meg was far more ridiculous than, like, the way they killed the shark is something you would expect from uh, your stereotypical Asylum film. So, uh, do you want to get into some of our feedback?
1: Yes, we were lucky enough to not only have the opportunity not too long ago to interview uh, some of the cast of Megalodon from the Asylum sci-fi film, but... Some of them even sent us some feedback.
0: Yes, uh, we, like I uh, mentioned on the show before, we had Paulina Laurent, Dominic Pace, Eagle Makitas, Elizabeth Cron, and Carolyn Harris. Um, a couple of the folks we didn't get to see, uh, director James Thomas, and Amy Stolte, who played uh, uh, Yana Popov, the, uh, one of the, the main Russian antagonists we didn't get a chance to uh, to talk to them however they did give us some uh, some feedback so i think first what we should do is uh, we have a short little message from uh, carolyn harris she reached out to us so we'll she played
1: commander lynch
0: yep and so uh, let's hear from her
1: Hi, everyone. This is Caroline Harris calling in from Sci-Fi and the Asylum's Megalodon, where I played Commander Lynch. First and foremost, I just want to say thank you to Patrick and everybody at Throwdown Thursday podcast. Um, all of the listeners, everybody who's tuned in and watched us this week on Sci-Fi, we have been overwhelmed by the positive reviews and the support we've seen over the internet and everybody who's been calling us the cast has just been overwhelmed so we are really really grateful to everyone um if you haven't seen it yet we're going to be available on netflix and other streaming services starting august 31st so i encourage you to tune in then um and so thank you to everyone and patrick i look forward to keeping in touch and hopefully being on this podcast again in the future take care guys
0: so yeah she obviously you know is very excited, and she was on the show with us, and she shared a lot of insight. And I think she did a great job. She you was say her character
1: excellent. was a freaking badass. Yeah. So, yeah, she was awesome.
0: Uh, I would like to, uh, because she had, uh, I think it works out well that we have it this way, because she, uh, Carolyn Harris, had a an awesome, like, brutal fight scene. Like, some of the, the, the choreography looked... Uh, Savage Looked more real than some, you know, big Hollywood fight scenes. Mm -hmm. Like it looked savage. It looked brutal. uh, But she had a fight scene with Amy Stolte. And uh, we got a little message from her as well. So uh, Wolfie, if you could do uh, Amy Stolte's message, please.
2: Hi, everyone. It's Amy Stolte here. I play Yana Popov in the film Megalodon by Asylum Pictures, which aired four times on the Sci-Fi Network last week. It kicked off Sharknado week, which I think is totally appropriate because it's the biggest, baddest shark out there. I hope fans out there are enjoying all of the great shark movies playing this summer, including the final Sharknado. Uh First off, I just want to say I was really excited to see the premiere of Megalodon because everyone put their heart into it. The director, James Thomas, was so much fun to work with. He is the kind of guy who has a clear vision an amazing, upbeat energy on set. Respect for everyone there and really set the tone for the set, which was so great. The DP, Dante Yor, and his uber-talented crew were an absolute joy to work with. They really brought their A-game, and I was super excited to see the final product, and it totally exceeded my expectations. Uh, Personally, I was honored to be a part of this great team and to play Yana Popov. I absolutely loved her, and I owe all that gratitude and opportunity to the director, James Thomas, Scotty Mullen, the casting director, and of course, the amazing Asylum team with David Michael Latt and David Ramaui for putting me in charge of Yana. Thank you guys. Um, working with such talented actors like Dominic Pace, Ego Mikidis, and Caroline Harris, of course, was a total treat. Uh, my fight scene with Caroline was so much fun, and a huge shout out to Mario Roca for his choreography in all the fight scenes such a pro um ego and dimitri were my on-screen and off-screen russian comrades for which i'm totally grateful canyon prince our line producer and second unit director was amazing to work with i really enjoyed watching all of the performances on screen elizabeth crone luke fedoruso paulina Laurent, and daniel Jew, just to name a few everyone did such a great job including Michael Madsen in all of his Michael Madsen glory. And I have to say, it was really fun to be on an actual historical naval ship and on the two submarines so rich with history, the Russian and the American one. Uh, Shooting out on the water was a blast. Of course, I didn't have to go into those cold waters like a couple of brave souls did, Um, but it was really great to be out there. The scenery was just amazing. And as far as any upcoming projects go, I've actually recently been attached to a psychological thriller, sorry guys, no sharks, Uh, called The Lucidrin Experiment, written by Mark Schwab and Mark Balunis, directed by Mark Schwab, which I'm very excited to film later this year. It's a fantastic script. I'll be playing the lead role of Jenny, and I'm a huge fan of Mark's work, and I'm thrilled to work with him for the first time. I hope... All of you are having a great summer of sharks and action films, and I hope fans out there enjoyed Megalodon and continue to enjoy it. Thank you all for all your support and for watching, and thank you so much for having me on this podcast.
0: So, yeah, we will definitely, uh, once the Lucidron experiment is coming closer to uh, premiering, we will definitely have her on because I would love to chat with her. She seems like a very nice lady. Um, one thing that I would like to add from the uh, conversations that I've had with her um, you know she was excellent in this film she really was Um, if you read my review you'll understand exactly how I felt about this Uh, I said she concurrently conveyed uh, defiance and terror and strength something, something along those lines I don't remember the exact quote but she said one of the things she was most nervous about was her her accent, getting the accent right, and making sure that she did that. But I think she did really well. Um, I've heard a couple of pieces of negative feedback about this film, but it generally is Michael Madsen's haircut isn't you know navy regulations. So I'm like, if that's your biggest nitpick about this film, like that's pretty good. Now, we also, uh, I got the chance to chat back and forth uh, a little bit, mostly over Twitter with uh, James Thomas. I asked him a couple of questions. And so the first question I asked him was, you know, how did you, uh, what was your reaction to finding out you'd be directing a giant shark movie for The Asylum? And uh, he recorded a couple of answers for us. Uh, Wolfie, can you play answer number one, please?
3: So after doing my first movie with The Asylum, which was called Tomb Invader, they asked me if I'd like to do another one, and they gave me two options. They gave me a shark movie or a disaster, end-of-the-world-style movie, and I I tend to gravitate more towards things that really scare the shit out of me, uh, for lack of a better word, and doing a shark movie really did that. It terrified me working in wa- on water and on boats and uh, all these kinds of things, they really terrified me uh, for obvious reasons. I mean, even Jaws had a hard time pulling it off because shooting inside the water is just hard to do. And uh, even still, I picked Megalodon because uh, I thought that it would be a harder or more interesting project. I'd learn something, I'd grow out of it and you know what ended up happening was what you saw on screen it was a lot of fun um the the script that we originally got was really it was it was not all the way there so there was a a writer on the movie and he wrote uh, three drafts before i uh got the studio to let me basically take it over and um with canyon prince the line producer who were actually writing partners uh we just went page one completely i mean we had to keep the story beats the same but all the dialogue a lot of the story elements were added um one example is that there was never an admiral in the original draft Um, So I added in the Admiral. There was never... The the Russian thing was kind of there. They always found the Russians. They always brought them up. But there was... The the, the political tension wasn't there. And the... The interrogation scene. The big fight scene. None of that was there. The big speech at the end. That was something after reading the first draft that I knew that I really wanted to add in. I really wanted this uh, amazing... um, you know, homage to Independence Day uh, because I mean, Bill Pullman has the best, in my opinion, movie speech in in history with uh, with Independence Day, and I wanted to, to pay homage to it. So um, we we wrote something to that. Uh, basically, the way we worked is that I went off and locked myself in a room for a couple days and and wrote all rewrote everything. I, there was one day where I wrote like 74 pages, which is crazy. Uh, and then Canyon came in and he tightened up what I had done, rewrote a lot of stuff and we just kind of partnered through it that way. And by the end of three days we had, uh, you know, what we, sh- what we basically shot. Uh, and I'm really glad we did that because we added a lot of, I think, depth to the characters that was missing and, um, you know the 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 most amazing thing is that that's kind of what the the reviews have been talking about is how the story feels you know fresh and there's characters you care about and that's something that i really really wanted to make sure that we added into this so um so that was that was cool and i guess i never would have done that if i didn't uh, pick a giant shark movie huh?
0: So that I thought was a very interesting um, reaction. Um, he gets into it a little more in these next couple of questions, but I th- I like the fact that he said the reason he took this was because it was more of a challenge. It was something that frightened him. So I like that a lot. Um, I think it shows a lot of his character as well, and especially the fact that, uh, you know, he got the script and was like, okay, I need to, you know, polish this up a little bit, make some changes to really fit the directing style that I have and you know, I'm I'm kind of putting words in his mouth there but you know, I think getting a chance to you know, have that creative control really, really helped the film that speech that he's referring to is a speech at least I'm pretty sure he's talking about the one where uh, Dominic Pace's uh, Captain Streeper is talking to carolyn harris's uh commander lynch and man is that a good like that elicits a lot of emotion from you uh definitely give this a, a a watch in the next couple of days when it when it airs on netflix and amazon um so the next question i asked was uh how does this how did this differ from other films you worked on and uh what was similar so Wolfie, if you could do question two or answer two, please.
3: So Megalodon was my third movie, and it was it was different in a lot of ways, but similar in a lot of ways because I've never I've always had very tight budgets and very tight schedules. Uh, my first film, Run Like Hell, it was an extremely small budget. Um, and so we had to make do with what we had and I learned a lot about that. I learned how to be scrappy and how to make things look bigger than what you have. Um, and so I kind of parlayed that into my second film, which, uh, you know, we, I came on the day before production started because basically I was, I was producing this film called Together with, uh, A buddy of mine james colin bresick and about halfway through the show i get a call from uh the asylum um, partners and basically the director for this film that they were shooting had just dropped out and they said hey can you come in start tomorrow and direct this movie and i was like uh Sure, And then they said, by the way, you have eight days. And I was like, Oh geez. Um, but they ended up being a lot of fun. And I learned a lot about working within the asylums parameters and a lot about how I can, you know, still push boundaries and, and, and still make something that feels like it's mine, even though it's, you know, inside of the, the world and kind of box that they're used to making. And so I even, you know, that's how it was a little similar to the Megalodon because I, I still had to work within the same realm of, you know, what, of the asylum and the, the kind of uh, parameters that their films have to live through. Um, but this was a little different because while I had, you know, a day of prep on that, I came on a lot earlier for Megalodon. I had about five weeks of prep on it and I had a team that was my people on, on tomb. I didn't have that kind of team cause the team was already established and it was set. There was a lot of great crew members and great cast members that worked on that movie, but I didn't get to bring any of my people to it. So for Megalodon, it was, it was awesome to get to work with Canyon, uh, who line produced the movie and second unit directed the film and Dante, who DP'd the movie and did a fantastic job and all the, you know, cast members that I had worked with for years, going back to Philip Johnson, Philip Nathaniel, who uh, played the Admiral's assistant in the film. He was the cam op and a cast member in my first film run like hell. And so he came on and he did all the steady cam. Uh, well, most of the steady cam in the movie, and uh, then he played um, Treadwell in the film as uh, as well. So uh, it was pretty it was pretty fun to be able to actually bring some of my people in and, and get to really see. Okay, well, if we have this amount of money, how can we make something that looks even bigger? And with this movie, I really do think that we we did that.
0: So that's something I want to touch on really quickly before we get to the last question and. If you listen to the different feedback that we've gotten, if you listen to the, the interview that we had in episode 101, you know, this effusive praise for everyone else working on the film. Like, you know, Dominic Pace talked about how much he liked working with Ego Makitas and how much he liked working with Carol, uh, Carolyn Harris. And I almost called her Carolyn Lynch. Uh, Carolyn Harris and and, you know, the rest of the crew, like how much he enjoyed working with them. You know, and then as you go along, like... You know, you heard Elizabeth Cron talk about how much she liked working with uh, Canyon Prince. And, you know, uh, uh, Amy Stolte just said how she liked working with, you know, Dante Yor. And then James Thomas brings up, like, everyone worked so well together, and they enjoyed the experience that they had. Um, I just think that's utterly fantastic. So uh, let's get to the last question, which is, What was the work and fun balance like?
3: The work-fun balance was uh, pretty interesting on this film because, again, I brought a lot of my people on, a lot of uh, friends and a lot of the crew that I've worked with for years now. And because while this is my third film that I've directed, Canyon and I together have produced eight films now. And so we just brought in all the people that we know, the people that we've collected over the years uh, that we really work well with. And it just makes things easier when you have an established rapport and kind of a shorthand with people. So you can work faster and have a little more fun. You already have inside jokes established. You know, you're you're able – you're not having to – figure people out for the first week and getting to know them you already know people so it's just a lot of fun on set plus i like to keep things lighthearted and um and just have fun on set because when we get too serious uh you know the one of the things that i like to say all the time is that we're not saving lives you know we we're not i'm not uh we're not you know heart surgeons we're we're making movies. We're making entertainment that hopefully hopefully makes people laugh and cry and feel emotions because that's what we do as, as storytellers and as filmmakers. We draw emotion out of people, but, but we're not saving lives here. We try to keep things light and have some fun on set. We definitely still have to work hard because on Megalodon, we had uh, 10 days to make the film. So that means that I was shooting somewhere close to 15 pages per day on the you know regular so with that schedule there's no way that you can't work have to work fast and and efficient and and you know you, you work hard and you work a lot and there's not a lot of downtime but you still try to keep things light-hearted and fun uh, and I think everyone really did that on this movie. I, you know, I, again, I had an amazing crew on this film, and they worked really hard. And everybody from Sarah that was in makeup to uh, Eric, who was one of our cam ops, everybody just busted their ass on this film, and it was a lot of fun. The cast was amazing. You know, to throw a hundred pages at Dominic. Uh, Cause he got the rewrite when I, you know, I, I did the rewrite right before we went into production, like three days before we went into production. So he got the rewrite a hundred pages to learn in like two days. Um, and that was just crazy for him. But he took it like a champ, and he knew his lines, and he was there. And every all the cast members they all had, they all went through the same thing, but everyone was just so consistent in knowing their lines, which helped us move faster. And you know, one of the craziest things is is uh, you know when Michael came on, who by the way was fantastic to work with, and uh, I, I just can't say enough about his work ethic and uh but, but one thing i will tell you is that he uh he had done so much research for his role in this movie he came in with stacks of papers uh about sh- sharks and had done all this research and told me all these stories about how sharks are drawn to magnetism and you know he came with so much research and was so prepared and you know we we shot 14 pages the day michael was there uh and that's kind of crazy for someone like him who isn't used to shooting, you know. He does he does massive movies all the time, and he's used to shooting two, maybe five pages in a day. And I brought him in, and he he took it like a champ and just nailed uh, 14 pages that day. And you can see in the movie, he's so good. Uh, and he, he loved at being able to be the guy that comes in, kicking the door down, guns blazing, saving the day. And uh, I'm glad that we were able to work together and give him that shot. But uh, again, we, you know, even when he was on set, he was joking around and you know talking with people, and we were having fun, even though we were shooting 14 pages that day. So it, you know, it's all about working hard, but also having fun in what you're doing. Because if you're not doing this with your friends, and if you're not having fun doing it, what's the point? Um, because again, what we do is just entertainment, so you better enjoy it yourself
0: yeah, and I think that 's you know what encapsulates what we 've talked about before and what you know the folks when they showed up uh to chat with us talked about you have the super tight schedule like you have to get everything right, so that, you know I had no idea about these rewrites that was that 's crazy you know you have a hundred page script that you get three days before or you know when he talked about you know like hey you want to come do this movie you have eight days and you have to do it tomorrow it's like what <laughs> like that's insane mm-hmm. you know and I think that's where these actors and these directors and everybody in in involved with these uh, asylum films really don't get enough credit so uh, we have one more thing from uh, Mr. Thomas and we'll take a quick break we'll come back we'll wrap up and then uh We'll give you a preview of next week.
3: Hey, Patrick, I just wanted to say thanks so much for all you've done to help promote it. Uh, Without you and uh, this podcast, I am positive we wouldn't have gotten to number one. So thank you so much for all your support during this. And all you Throwdown Thursdayers, thanks for supporting the movie. Thanks for watching the film. Again, I couldn't have done it without all of you guys. So thanks so much, and thanks for having me on.
0: So, yeah, that was great like i just I still can't get over the fact that these folks are thanking us when
1: yeah, it's weird
0: like we you know we're just so grateful that they're taking time out of their super busy schedule to to chat with us you know and and share their thoughts and insights so that's really awesome, uh, and I want to thank everyone who came on the show who you know sent stuff into the show and. You know, we definitely would like to you know continue to help promote any projects you have coming up. Let us know uh, I'd be glad to you know write more reviews. I'd be glad to you know chat with you folks so let us know um, and and definitely stay in touch and we will do the same so I think with that being said, uh let's take a quick break we'll come back we'll give you uh we have a new battle. And uh, we're going to give you a preview of what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. So we'll be right back. Hello. This
2: is the Sasquatch, a.k.a. Bigfoot. But you can just call me Frank. And when I'm not stomping around the woods throwing rocks at hunters, I like to listen to the Paranormal Punchers Podcast. That's right, Paranormal Punchers. They talk about all things paranormal, and they're hilarious. Go find them on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and ParanormalPunches.com.
0: Hi, I'm Dominic Pace, star of Sci-Fi Channel's Megalodon, and you are listening to Throwdown Thursday's podcast.
3: Patrick Ray in, <laughs> in the motherfucking house. Patrick Ray in the motherfucking house.
1: Patrick Ray in the motherfucking house Patrick Hall In the motherfucking house
0: And we're back So Animal, this is where off. I was uh, especially uh, Wordy on this episode That's something gonna... I'm Very passionate about is, is shark stuff um, So ashes we have uh, A major battle coming up
1: well we actually have some breaking news, Patrick.
0: Breaking news. A
1: giant shark has been wreaking havoc and taking lives, but never fear. You have been chosen to head up relief efforts and save the world. So who do you choose as your crew? Do you go with Quint, Hooper and Brody, the Jaws crew, Jonas Taylor, Su Yin, and Jax, the Meg crew? Captain Streeper, Commander Lynch, and Chang, the Megalodon crew, or Finn Shepard, April, and Nova, the Sharknado crew. Oh, that's a it is choice. up to you to save the world. So be sure to log in your answers on the Facebook page and let us know who would you choose and why.
0: Who, yeah, who's your crew? Who you, who you got? Who you got? So that's uh, that's a pretty good battle.
1: I mean, I honestly like. I'm. I'm I didn't a little expect the breaking news there.
0: I was by expecting this. something I else. I mean,
1: sharks falling from the sky and and sharks wreaking havoc and taking lives.
0: <sighs> taking lives and kicking names. Wait, no. Not, how not, how not,
1: right? not so I don't much. Think that's how not it works. so much. But yes, definitely hit up us. Uh, hit us up on these social medias: Facebook, Twitter. Cast your vote and let us know who. Would you choose to be your crew to save the day?
0: Yeah. So, I don't even know who I'm going to choose. I'm going to. That's going to. I know. Be a I'm tough a little choice. perplexed right now. Yeah, I'm. Is,
1: I'm going to have to really think about that. That's how you
0: know it's a good one when you're really not sure who uh, who to go with. Uh, so we ran a little long. So we're gonna we're gonna forego science and wine this week. Because I. Well,
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna go home and drink some wine. But yeah, but
0: we're not gonna talk about it right this right no. this moment. But. No. uh
1: We have some crazy stuff coming up.
0: We do. Um, I know a few of you have posted about this. Uh, Evil Corny, Mark Lynch, I know you guys have posted uh, that you are really enjoying Disenchantment, the new Netflix show. And uh, we are as well. So what are we going to talk about next week?
1: We're going to talk about Princess Bean.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, She is a super fun character. I am enjoying the show immensely. We haven't watched it all, but we're we're gonna watch it a couple of times before we uh we record and uh yeah and what are we uh what are we doing after that i'm very excited about this because this is going to be coinciding with a new uh a new film that's going to be out in theaters on september 14th and our show is actually going to air september 13th which is our anniversary and uh what are we going to be talking about there ashes
1: i can't make a predator noise I just what do a, what do predators say? Are they like that's, uh, that's a wookie? That's a wookie. That's a uh, wookie.
0: They sound like they're purring, they
1: purr. sort of. But it's like a
0: it's like if a dolphin could purr in its high clicky sound.
1: Okay. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about the predator.
0: Yes, we are going to be discussing the Yautja. We're going to be discussing their home planet, their interaction throughout pop culture. How they have changed and evolved. So, we have like five movies to watch because we're going to watch the Predator trilogy and then we're going to watch both Alien vs. Predator films.
1: Those are fun.
0: They are. I, I just rewatched Predator again the other day. I fucking love it. Like, we picked up the trilogy at Walmart for $9.96 on Blu ray with digital. So, yeah, super awesome. Um, I'm very excited to talk about this. So, send Remember us. Remember
1: when you said you were like super wordy?
0: yeah I know we can I, send us your thoughts on these characters you know give us your feedbacks, your emails, your, your voicemails let us know what you think of these and uh, you know let us know what you think of the show and give us five-star reviews and such and uh, with that being said, we will see, see you next, next Thursday), Thursday.